No other figure is more central to the human experience than Jesus Christ. During this Easter season, we acknowledge and revere the long prophesied Messiah, the Lord Jehovah, who led our fathers from exile and despair. That same Messiah has broken the bonds of sin, death, and time itself to offer an everlasting peace and joy to all who will receive him. I invite you to join us in our study today and encourage each of us to request divine understanding that the Spirit can teach us individually and specifically. Welcome to Come Follow Up. There are a lot of Easter traditions in my family, but some of the most memorable for me are just about getting together with family and enjoying a good meal after church. My mom would make an amazing potato salad and we'd all just kind of enjoy the weather and a picnic and it just makes you think of rebirth that time of year. Well, I think maybe the lighter side was just the Easter egg hunt that we always had with our kids, but on the more uh, serious side, we always tried to take time to study about the atonement of Jesus Christ and realize what the real purpose of Easter was and that it was this purpose that gave meaning and hope to life. It's a testament that He is the Redeemer, the Savior of the world, the Messiah. And if we become like Him and live our life like Him, we can live with our Father in heaven again. Knowing that Jesus Christ is alive brings me hope in my life. It lets me know that through the enabling power of the atonement, I can overcome all things and live again with Him. Welcome everybody and thank you for being here today. Today is a very special week where we take a break from focusing on specific chapters in the Old Testament and we're gonna specifically focus on the topic of Easter. And to help us with our discussion, the two topics that we have are, first, Easter and our redemption from exile. And the second topic is, I can find peace and joy through the Savior's atonement. And to help us with our discussion, we wanna first welcome one of our scholars, Dr. Kate Holbrook. Welcome, Kate. Thank you. Kate Holbrook is a historian who spends her time writing books, giving talks, and convening thinkers together. Before earning a PhD from Boston University, she studied the Bible and world religions at Harvard Divinity School. And seated next to Kate, we have our special guest, Elder Tad Callister. Welcome, Tad. Thank you. Elder Callister is an author and emeritus general authority of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and was the former general Sunday school president of the church when the Come Follow Me program began. So we have you to thank for all of this happening. So Elder Callister, thank you so much. Well, or criticized, but I was one of many people. <laughs> well, we're very excited to have uh, both of you here. So uh, as we get into our first topic, uh, which is Easter and our redemption from exile. Kate, do you mind giving us just a little bit of history and background on Easter and why we celebrate it? Easter is the way we look at that moment of atonement. And that moment of atonement is what made the whole plan for all of God's children, God's purpose, God's glory. All of that was contingent on what we celebrate as Easter, on 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 Jesus Christ. So, so it's really our opportunity to celebrate the most important thing <laughs> that happened in the history of humanity. I love it. Elder Callister, anything you'd like to add to that? Well, I just say that uh, sometimes it's hard for us to truly understand and appreciate not only what the Savior did, but what our Father in Heaven did when He said He gave His only begotten Son and that the sacrifice for him was no doubt equal to the sacrifice that the Savior had to give. 
Thank you very much. So what are some of your initial thoughts as we talk about Easter today? Matthew. So Easter has always been a holiday in my household. It's very important. We always celebrate Easter every single year. And it has been a really, really unique moment in our lives as well as our religious lives going to the church. And it's something I really cherish when we, you know, we uh, celebrate Easter when it comes to Christ and the Lord. Well, thank you, Matthew. And I'm sure today you're going to have an increased appreciation for Easter as we discuss some wonderful things. So as, we, as we're focusing on this first topic of how Easter and, and redemption um, from exile, we have this great example that we just studied last week of the children of Israel going through the waters on dry ground, the Red Sea, and there are a lot of other themes that point us to this idea of exile. Kate, would you mind giving us what other examples from the Old Testament can we draw from to learn that we can receive redemption from exile through Jesus Christ? Well, really, though, the Old Testament sets you up for exile again and again and again. Adam and Eve are exiled after they eat the fruit from the garden and also exiled from the presence of God the way they had experienced it before eating the fruit. We have Abraham who is exiled from the place he grows up, exiled from his family um, as he goes to start a new family and become God's prophet. We have all of Abraham's descendants, the tribes of Israel, have to go to Egypt because of famine. So they are exiled from the lands they're living on and inhabiting and and go to Egypt to find something to eat, Mm -hmm. (laughs) to to get along there. And then they become slaves there. And they're even exiled from agency when they're enslaved there. And then they're exiled in a way from Egypt because that's that's the life they've known. That's the life their their ancestors have known. And um, they're exiled from a way of life that's comfortable to them. And we can, we can even see that in modern church history, this idea of exile constantly being removed from a place of perhaps oppression or in, in some cases even slavery. Um, Eller Callister, what is the main message that why this constant repetition of stories of exile of the Lord's people? Well, I think we can read the scriptures lots of times on two levels. One level is the literal level that we're exiled physically. The other is that we're exiled spiritually from the presence of God. One of the great things the Old Testament does is it helps us understand that that spiritual exile can uh, be overcome by the atonement and we can come to the promised land again, so to speak. And one of the scriptures I love is Isaiah talks about this again and again. Uh, In Isaiah, we won't, I'll just reference it, but in Isaiah 1, he talks about, though our sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. And then he goes on in Isaiah 53 and talks about through his stripes, we're healed, we're returned to the spiritual promised land. And then to me, one of the most beautiful scriptures is Isaiah 61, verses 1 to 3. Says the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. I thought, what a beautiful phrase. Though your heart's broken, I commend it. I can correct it. And then he goes on in verse 2 to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all that mourn. It doesn't matter who you are, what your conditions are, I can comfort you. And then to me, maybe the most beautiful scripture of all scriptures, 
to appoint unto them the morn unto Zion, to give them beauty for ashes. Though your life be in ashes, I can make it beautiful again. And isn't that wonderful? No matter where you are in life, there's no external event. Once the atonement was performed, there's no external event that can prevent you from returning to God, being like him, and having uh, the joy he has. And that's what he says, the oil of joy for mourning. That's what uh, the Old Testament teaches us, that the spiritual exile can be a spiritual return. That reminds me of a wonderful quote by a brilliant man by the name of Tad R. Callister. <laughs> and he said this, the Savior's atonement gives us life for death, beauty for ashes, healing for hurt, and perfection for weakness. It is heaven's antidote to the obstacles and struggles of this world. I'd love to hear from the audience. As you look at this quote, what are some of your thoughts on the Savior's atonement and what it can do for us? Donnie. I like the tiny part, healing for hurt. I never used to think of the atonement that way. I always thought of it as I get to get my body back. Maybe that beauty for ashes, but healing for hurt strikes me, Ellie Callister, because that's what I needed. When I'm hurt, I need the healing. And I'm so grateful the Savior did all of those other things, but that one really just buries right into the depth of my Hawaiian heart. Donnie, thank you so much. So as we celebrate Easter, a lot of times, you know, we, we like to focus on some of the traditional things with eggs and bunnies and things like that. Uh, but as far as uh, what specifically are we celebrating? Because uh, the atonement encapsulates a lot of different aspects of the Savior. What specifically does Easter are we celebrating? Well, when Christ was resurrected, he overcame two important obstacles for the rest of us that, that separated us from God and from an eternal destiny. And one of those was death and the separation of our body from our spirit. And so for everyone, <laughs> thanks to the resurrection, we can all have our bodies and our spirits together for eternity, regardless of how we live now. But then the other one is contingent on, on how we live. And that's the promise that we can be forgiven for our sins. He redeemed us from death, he redeemed us from sin, but it also has an enabling power that he can comfort and strengthen us in our uh, afflictions and temptations. And he can help us overcome our weaknesses and uh, even perfect us so we not only return to God, but we can become like him. So I think one of the key purposes of the atonement was not just to cleanse us, but perfect us so we could become like God and have the joy he has. Elder Callister, why is it so important for us today to understand and implement the atonement into our lives? Well, I think that's a very good question. And uh, I think the more we understand the atonement of Jesus Christ, the greater our faith in him, the greater our love for him and our Father in heaven and what they did for us, and the greater our hope and incentive to become like him. So I think it increases our faith, our love, our appreciation, and our incentive to be godlike in our lives. Thank you. 
We have a, a question that came in from a viewer. So let's watch this question. I want to get your opinions on what they have to say. Hi, we're the Dukes. And we're from American Fork, Utah. And our question is, how can we use the Old Testament to better understand Easter? Eileen. The first thing that comes to me is that, uh, is the observance of the Passover. So we have the um, children of Israel leaving Egypt and uh, we have the first Passover and there's so much symbolism in that, which the Jews still celebrate today, which all point towards Jesus Christ and his resurrection and um, just lots of different aspects of um, how we need to return to him and pay attention to what he's done for us. One is through the stories of the Old Testament. You think about Job, who suffered incredibly and said, though he shall slay me, yet I shall trust in him. And you think of the Savior in the garden, about to suffer incredibly, but not my will, but thine be done. You think of Abraham and Isaac, the father and the son, but for the father, the knife would not be stayed, our father in heaven. So you think about those stories that relate to the atonement. You think about the ordinances, such as the law of sacrifice, that is symbolic of the atonement. And you think about all the scriptures that teach the doctrine of the resurrection and that we're healed completely from our sins and that when we repent, whereas the Book of Mormon tells us, totally without spot. And that's, I think, the message of the Old Testament. Through all of these avenues, it teaches us about what the atonement really means in our lives. Uh, Kate, as we wrap up this first uh, topic, I'd love to get some of your just final thoughts on Easter and our redemption from exile. You know, one of the ways for me that the Old Testament prepares us for the atonement is that people just do these ter terrible things. And it builds up in me this just longing for there to be a break from these generations of entrenched violence and misunderstanding. And I think for me, that's one of the things that the atonement can really help us with is to think right. Okay. To think right and break whatever we've inherited from, from society or from our own families to, to make a break from it and start clean and be able to have the peace of God in our lives. Thank you both for joining us and adding so much to our discussion of our first topic, Easter and our redemption from exile. And there was a time in my life when I wanted to know who Jesus Christ was and what he meant to me and the atonement. I began to search the scriptures and began to read and study. I also prayed and asked for guidance. Um, and in my research, I began to know him more, but more personally, I felt him more. Knowing that Christ sacrificed his life for me, it inspires me and lets me know that no matter what happens, that I can put myself second to someone else and I can help them in their lives. My oldest daughter was born premature and with severe disabilities. In fact, she only lived for five months. But during her life, I watched her um, endure bravely so many things and suffer so many things. And as her parent, I was um, desperate to help her, but powerless too. And it helped me to better understand what Heavenly Father went through with His Son, Jesus Christ, and helped me feel closer to Him. So our second topic that we're gonna talk about today is I can find peace and joy through the Savior's atonement. 
And if it's okay with you guys, I'd like to break these down and talk about them individually if we can. And so if we can first focus on, on peace and the idea of how do we find peace through the atonement and what does peace even mean or what does it look like? Do you want to start us out, Kate? Sure. I, the first thing that comes to mind is just that that's how I, that's how I experience the Holy Ghost or, or when somebody's saying something that's true and it really resonates with me, I just feel this this calm, this peace really descend on my heart. And then if there's something that's really troubling me, either because I made a mistake or because I, life is hard, uh, I can still, thanks to the atonement, feel that just peace descend and give me relief. I appreciate you pointing that out, that peace comes through the atonement, whether it was a mistake or just life just kind of happens. Mm -hmm. Elder Callister, what are the thoughts do you have on, on what is peace and how do we find it through the atonement? Well, this is kind of probably a, a rough description, but I broke my shoulder in four places playing racquetball recently. Oh. And I found that when I put a heat pad on there, it gives me a lot of comfort. <laughs> and I think the atonement is like a spiritual heat pad in one way. It just consoles us uh, throughout our entire body. And likewise, I think peace comes because the atonement gives us an eternal perspective. It helps us put our position and circumstance in life uh, in proper perspective, as it did to Joseph Smith in Liberty Jail, mm. when the Savior said to him, uh, my son, peace be unto thy soul. Thy adversity and thy affliction shall be but a small moment. And then if thou endure it, thou shalt you know, be exalted on high. And I think that because of the atonement, we can put our difficult circumstances in perspective and say, this is just a dot on the spectrum of eternity. And if I'm faithful and endure to the end, I will have eternal life. And Joseph Smith got that vision because in Liberty Jail, he later wrote to his, the saints, my dearly beloved brethren, you know, be of good cheer. And then uh, he, he understood that, that we can be of good cheer because of the atonement of Jesus Christ. That's a wonderful thing. And regardless of our circumstances. Regardless of our circumstances. In fact, the Savior said in the last week of his, of his life, in the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. And there's nothing I haven't overcome that, uh, that uh, can prevent you from returning to me. So how is it possible to find peace while living in a world of turmoil? Isaac. So one way I actually found peace is well represented in a scripture in DNC 636. It's uh, look into me in every thought, doubt not, fear not. Um, it basically says have faith and you should like have faith through your turmoil. Isaac, do you ever find in your daily life that you are put in situations of turmoil? And if so, how do you feel the peace that comes from the atonement? Through the day I go to school and like stuff is stressful and like I, I have to deal with testing and stuff. Finding peace is, is tough, but like it's possible with faith. I think it was Paul who said, whatever circumstance I'm in, therewith I've, I've been able to be content. And I think that's a beautiful circumstance. You may not have peace externally, but you can have peace internally. Okay. And you can have optimism that, uh, that in the end, I can return to God and be like him. And that, that's why I think it's important to be optimistic. Optimistic is a manifestation of our faith in Jesus Christ and his atonement in our lives. 
Thank you so much. So the second part of the topic for today of this segment is I can find peace and I can find joy through the Savior's atonement. So what is your definition of the word joy? Gene. I remember years ago, we were at a state conference and the state president got up as the last speaker and he said something I thought was very simple but very profound. He said, how many of us have ever sinned? Some hands shot up real quick and all the rest went kind of slow. And he goes, guess what? Jesus is in the business of sin. And there are so many people that won't go to church. They won't, you know, because they think, well, I've sinned. I can't be there. And so I get joy in thinking, you see these three children right here? These are my grandkids. My joy is knowing that through the atonement, no matter where we are on the stream, where we've sinned, that we will be together. Well, thank you so much. Elder Callister, Kate, what do you think? As we try to define, you know, I think it's, it's important to understand what joy is uh, if we're going to try to experience it through the atonement. How would you both define joy? For me, joy is a lot about people. And I felt it back years ago when we had a Ward Temple night. And I see these people on Sundays, but there was something about seeing them in the celestial room in the temple that made me feel so joyful. It's being, being in a happy, united place with other people that I love. For me, that, that's really when I feel the most joy. Great thoughts. Elder Callister? I, I just think joy is an enthusiasm and love for life and for eternity because of uh, what the Savior made possible for us, both in mortality and immortality. And do you think it's possible to experience joy, you know, as we talked about peace and turmoil, what about joy through hardship? I think academically we could just say, yes, that happens. In reality, I think those are sometimes hard times for us, but I do think there's that inner peace that sustains us, that inner faith that sustains us when difficult times come. And I think that if you don't have that faith, if you don't have that rock of faith, that it crumbles when some of those difficult times come. And if you do have that faith, the temptation will never be greater than the faith that you have if you have a rock-like faith in Jesus. So, Elder Coster, you have a demonstration that I'm excited to, to have, and we're gonna involve the audience a little bit. And this is gonna help us uh, learn a little bit more about the atonement. And I'm gonna turn some the time over to you and allow you to just uh, teach us. Well, we're going to do this spontaneously, but part of this is driven by the fact that uh, that Christ did all these wonderful things for us, but there was a price he had to pay to make that possible. And some people believe, uh, and this came up in our seminary class, that the Savior didn't really suffer like we do because he was half mortal and he was half divine. Mm. And that his divine side always protected him. That when he, you know, walk the 40, when he fasted for 40 days, he wasn't really hungry because his divinity protected him. When he was in the garden, he didn't really suffer like you and I would when we bud from every pore because his divinity protected him. He was kind of like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who were in the fiery furnace, but they never felt the heat of the flames. Right. So we're going to do this totally spontaneously. <laughs> and is it Isaac? Yeah. Would you come up here, please? <laughs> and Ane, would you come up here? You come right up here to the end. We need a shield. Are we safe here, Elder Calcio? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you gotta take a few risks in life, you know. Okay, now you're gonna have the shield right here. You're gonna hold on to that. Now, 
we're going to have him represent symbolically the Savior. So you have a good sport, aren't you, Isaac? What? You're a good sport? Yeah. You got a sense of humor? Yeah. Well, that's good. Okay. <laughs> so we're going to draw this little line down you right here. That's the permanent marker, right? The that's the permanent okay, marker. Okay, good. Right. <laughs> yeah. Now you have to imagine this for a moment, that this side represents the divine side. That's where he's got the shield, okay? And this half represents the mortal side. All right, we okay so far? Now over here, this young lady, this, we did this in our seminary class, we gave her four paper balls all wrapped in tape. And the first one said death. So we gave you this, and we want you to throw it at him just as hard as you can, but with his <laughs> shield, he'll block it. So you ready? Throw it at him, come on. Oh, wow, yeah, you, you blocked it, okay? And then the next one <laughs> said sin, and you throw it at him as hard as you can, we throw it at him, block it, oh, you, you got it, okay. <laughs> and the next one said afflictions and temptations, because the Savior helped us overcome those. Now you throw it at him really hard and you block it. Oh, good block, good block. And the last one said imperfections, so you throw it that really hard. Wow, did you block it? Block it, he, he had the shield he had the divinity, he could have blocked protecting himself from all of those mortal conditions. But now you're gonna put the shield by your side. And we gave the four balls back to the young lady and said, now you're gonna throw them at him and he's not gonna raise the shield. And with a great smile, she took the first one and it said death and she threw it at him as hard as she could and boom, it hit him, he felt the impact. And then the next one said sin and she, oh wow, look at that throw, boom. It hit him, he felt the full impact of sin. And then afflictions and temptations, boy, she's got this down, and it hit him. <laughs> and the last one, <coughs> weakness and sin, or weaknesses, and it hit him. He, he took the full impact. Well, there was two points to teach to this, two principles. One is that the Savior had the divine shield. He was half divine. He could have raised it to protect him against all these mortal conditions, but he never did. But the second principle was probably more important, that he used his divinity not to protect him. He used his divinity to enlarge the cup of pain that he would take upon him, and how so? Well, each of us have a release valve inside of us. And when the pain becomes so great, that release valve kicks in and we either die or we become unconscious. But for the Savior, he used his divinity to keep that release valve open until he experienced the pain and temptations and afflictions of all men, of all women, of all ages, of all worlds, and could truly to say, I descended beneath it all. You two were great. Thank you. <laughs> and there's one scripture we could read with that. It would be Mosiah 3.7, where King Benjamin talks about this. And it says, and lo, he shall suffer temptations and pain of body, hunger, thirst, and fatigue, and then the line, even more than man can suffer. He used his divinity to suffer more than we could, not to protect him from it. Thank you. What a great demonstration. I'd love to go to Anne and to uh, Isaac. What did you learn uh, from that experience or from the demonstration that Ella Callister showed us? Well, I mean, I learned that Christ did this for our sins and he did this for us and that he could have released the valve any time and that he didn't. And Moses 1, 39, for behold, this is my work and my glory to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. And that kind of just shows that he 
is doing this all for us so we can be with him one day and we can be immortal. Thank you so much, Isaac. So, Anne, being the one that was throwing sin, death, suffering, affliction at the target, how does that make you feel knowing that the Savior, even though he could have stopped that, took on all of our pains, all of our sins and sorrows for us as individuals? I'm very grateful that he did that because he took all our pain and suffering so that we wouldn't have to go through it. So then in return, we can just do his work for him. Could I just say too, that such an important part that point that when we're consumed with what we've done wrong and our suffering, we can't do God's work. We're so focused on ourselves. I, I love that she brought that up, but because God helped us free us from that, then we can do his work, which is where we experience joy. Absolutely. I'd love just to get some final thoughts on anything we've talked about so far about peace and joy through the Savior's atonement. Well, we've uh, talked about why the Savior did all of this for us because he loved us immensely. And, but I've been reminded of late of uh, how much our Father in Heaven loved us when he says he gave his only begotten Son and uh, I remember a statement by Elvin, El, Elder Melvin J. Ballard that some of you may recall that he envisioned watching the Father in heaven while the Father was trying to watch what was taking place with his son in the garden and uh, watching his son bleed from every pore and pleading that the cup could be removed if possible. And then watching his son on the cross with the cruel nails driven into his hands and saying, my father, my my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And watching all of that, Melvin J. Ballard made a quote that, that tells about the significance of that statement. Maybe you can read it for us, sure. then, if you would. In that hour, I think I can see our dear Father behind the veil, looking upon these dying struggles until even he cannot endure it any longer. And like the mother who bids farewell to her dying child has to be taken out of the room so as not to look upon the last struggles. So he bowed his head and hid in some part of his universe, his great heart almost breaking for the love that he had for his son. Oh, in that moment when he might have saved his son, I thank him and praise him that he did not fail us, for he had not only the love of his son in mind, but he also had love for us. As you think of a father, what father wouldn't take the place of his son and suffer for him if he could? And the father could have, but he didn't so that he could save all of us. So when we think of the atonement of Jesus Christ, I think we also think of the great love of our Father in heaven that allowed that and made that possible. Thank you so much for sharing that, Lacalester. Thank all of you for your comments and for your contributions. There's just such a good feeling in this room and it really kind of puts the stamp on what we've been talking about in the second topic, that I can find peace and joy through this Savior's atonement. Thank you very much. The Holy Ghost taught me today that there is always spiritual blessings no matter what stage in your life that you're at. It reaffirmed in me the peace that he can give you and the joy through any circumstance that you're going through. The Holy Ghost taught me that everything is out of my control and that God and Jesus Christ is the one that will guide me into what I need to get to and allow me to experience a spiritual happiness. I kind of thought of some times that I've gone through and kind of lost hope. 
and began to focus on if Jesus Christ can go through what he went through, truly I can handle this. And I began to reach out and to ask Heavenly Father through Jesus Christ for help and I gained the peace that I needed. During today's discussion, I actually thought a lot about my own baptism and how the atonement ties into that. It reminded me that when we are baptized, we are becoming a part of the body of Christ and we need to take up the cross and relieve suffering the way that he did, mourn with others the way that he did. And it just made me so grateful for my baptism. Welcome to Come Follow Up Footnotes. I'm excited to uh, dive in further to some of these topics that we've been discussing in the, in the previous part of the episode. Uh, but before we do that, um, Ella Callister, I wanted to uh, take the opportunity having you here and being in a Come Follow Up environment where we study topics from the Come Follow Me program uh, and being a part of the, uh, the creation of the Come Follow Me program. Would you mind sharing some of the experiences uh, that led to the creation of the Come Follow Me program? Sure, I'd be happy to do that. And to give credit to the prior Sunday School presidency, they had started a, a, a curriculum for the youth that the church liked, and they asked us to build upon it and see if we couldn't have a um, home-centered, church-supported program. It was a real uh, demonstration that revelation comes line upon line and, and not in big flashes. And it took a lot of discussion and a lot of difference of opinion, a lot of agreement, and line upon line, we finally decided that if we were going to have it home-centered, it needed to be a curriculum that could reach the parents, the youth, and the children. So that led to one manual. And then some of the discussions that took place with regards to the manual itself is that uh, we've been commanded in the Doctrine and Covenants to teach the doctrine. So all the subtitles, rather than just be historical statements, they would be doctrinal statements or questions that led to doctrinal answers. And then underneath it, the prime source of teaching the doctrine would be scriptures and the statements of the prophets with questions and then resources that would support the doctrine. The Savior taught doctrine, he lectured, he discussed, and he used visuals and stories and object lessons and all of these to teach the doctrine. So we wanted to teach like the Savior did. So the Come Follow Me materials tried to include those types of resources. And then the thought came to us, you know, we have Easter and we have Christmas. And what happens if, if Easter were in the Old Testament and we're talking about Balaam and the talking donkey? You know, <laughs> is that really what we want? And so we decided that no matter where we were, it would be appropriate on Easter and Christmas to focus on the Savior on those particular occasions, and we could draw from the host of the materials we had to do so. And so that eventually all led to uh, Come Follow Me, and it was a combination. I would say that the auxiliaries that were involved kind of focused on the doctrinal principles they wanted taught, and then the magnificent staff they gave us the wonderful wording and stories that you see today. Come Follow Me helped a focus on individual and family study versus just going to the church. In other words, we tried to flip it. Rather than going to church and then come home and say what you've learned, why don't we flip it and say, let's study at home and then take that and share it at church. I think that really helped 
us be inde more yes. independent spiritually, which is something that President Nelson tells us all the time now over the past couple of years. I think it's perhaps the most important message of our time is to yes. really be able to stand on our own two feet spiritually. Well, thank you. It's kind of fun to find out how these things get started sometimes. Yeah. Okay, so let's get into some of the things that we've been talking about. And in the previous uh, portion of this episode, um, we talked about um, accounts of exile. And uh, I'd like to go back to that if we can a little bit. And Kate, do you want to start us out with that? I think it's helpful just to think about what exile really means. You mentioned the Book of Mormon, so maybe we should think about when Lehi and Sariah took their family into the wilderness. To leave all of the familiar rhythms and the comforts, the little things that you do to cheer you up when a day is hard mm -hmm. or the, the things, the ways you can rely on getting your three meals a day or having a good night's sleep, all of those things that add structure and reliability to your life. In exile, those are taken away, at least initially. And for Lehi and Sarai and their, their family in the wilderness, they were taken away for a long time because they traveled for a long time and then they had to be in boats for a long time. And it was just, it was this really long process of not having the order and the comfort and the, the reliability. And I, I think one of the things we learn from all of these examples of exile throughout the scriptures is that if we are with God, we can always handle the exile. The real, the real exile to be afraid of, the one that we can't handle is to be exiled from God. Interesting. And I, as you were saying that, I was reminded of, um, in the book of Esther, she focuses on, on the importance of fasting. And I never realized that in, in exile, you're going without some of those that. comforts. Yeah. I was like, wait, that's kind of alludes to that drawing closer to God and to the Savior by leaving behind some of those comforts of life that we're used to. Uh, that's a great thought, yeah. you know, that you can learn from all those other experiences. Ella Kalisha, any thoughts on exile with your other well, scripture stories? Well, you were two were just talking. You gave such great insights. I thought, well, we're exiled from the physical comforts of life. I think it was a demonstration that when we sin, we're exiled from the spiritual comforts of life. Mm -hmm. We're exiled from peace, from solace, from the spirit of the Lord, and that that redemption brings back those attributes that are so important for our spiritual comfort. I love that. And it's all made possible through, through the atonement, that redeeming power that allows us to, to receive those, get those things back. As we talk about Easter and the atonement, what were some of the qualifications of Jesus Christ that allowed him to perform uh, such an amazing task? I have been thinking about this all week. Can we look in Moses 1? Absolutely. I think Moses 1 is such an exciting chapter for me in the Pearl of Great Price. And also, all through Moses 1, we keep hearing about God's work and his glory. And it builds this tension for me, like, wow, this work is endless, and it really matters. And he's sharing some with Moses, and I want him to share it with me. But what is the work? <laughs> and then the glory, the glory really matters. It's what makes Moses able to discern between God and Satan is this glory. But what is this glory? Um, and, and then we learn that the glory, as Isaac pointed us to earlier in verse 39, <laughs> the glory is the immortality and eternal life of man. And those are only made possible 
through the Savior. And the description that we get of the Savior is in verse 6. God says to Moses, Thou art in the similitude of mine only begotten, and mine only begotten is and shall be the Savior, which is interesting. Right? This is, is and shall be. Is and shall be. This is before Moses is uh, part of the Red Sea, for he is full of grace and truth. And those words, grace and truth, kept I, I kept thinking about them because not only was it so important for Jesus Christ to be full of grace and truth in order for the atonement to happen, but we have to bring grace and truth to our encounter with our Savior in order for the atonement to happen. If we're still hiding, if we're still not admitting something we did, or still not even being open about the pain that we're experiencing, mm -hmm. then the truth is missing and the atonement can't do its work. Any thoughts on, on that, Evan Callister? Well, when we went to Moses 1, uh, I, I was drawn actually to verses 27 and 28 also, mm -hmm. because I think it gives a parallel here to the atonement. It talks about uh, Moses beholds the earth, even a particle of it, which he, <laughs> there was not a particle which he did not behold. And then it says, there was not a soul uh, which he beheld not. And to me, that gives us a glimpse into the garden and on the cross that it wasn't just some mass atonement where all of these sins were just cast down upon him. It was a personal atonement, I think, where he saw every living soul, just as Moses did, just as Enoch did. And so he's suffering not for this mass quantity of sins. He's suffering for Ben's sins, as few as they may be, and Kate's as few as they may be, and all of mine. <laughs> but it's one by one saying, this is for you, Ben, because I love you. This is for you, Kate, because I love you. This is Tad, for you, because I love you, so that you will not have to suffer as I am suffering. And it gives us this intimate feeling as well as infinite feeling for the atonement of Jesus Christ. That made me feel really good. <laughs> <laughs> you know, as, as Kate read in, in verse 6, how Moses is in uh, the similitude of his only begotten, who is and shall be. And that leads me to think of this idea of the infinite atonement. And Ella Callister, you wrote a book, The Infinite Atonement. Would you mind just explaining a little bit uh, behind not only the main message that you were trying to, um, to, to bring across through that book, but what was the, the thought process um, in deciding that you wanted to create such a, a beautiful book of literature? Well, thank you. I, I didn't intend to write a book. Uh, that was not even on the horizon for me, but I decided I love the scriptures, and my dad used to make sure we all studied the scriptures in our law office before we started the day. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to take a subject uh, every 30 days and kind of see if I couldn't get a grasp of it. So I took, I had a lot of questions on the atonement and I thought I'll write on it for 30 days and I'll go to another subject. But after 30 days, well, I need another 30 days. <laughs> and the next, another 30 days and it led into, after 10 years, I said, the thought crossed my mind, I wonder if this could be a book. <laughs> so I wrote for seven more years and after 17 years, I had a number of my friends review it, and I got input, and it was a great lesson to me to not be defensive, but learn what you can from people. And then I uh, just sent it into Desert Book. I didn't know anybody. And uh, some months later, they said they were interested. Mm. But, uh, but 
I felt like the atonement was the foundation of all gospel teaching and ordinances. It's at the basis of the foundation of every single teaching, doctrine, and ordinance of the church, and therefore I wanted to understand it so I could better understand the gospel in its entirety. And, and why put that word infinite in the title? It was interesting because, you know, you don't really read that word, infinite atonement, in the Bible, but you read it in the Book of Mormon. And then all of a sudden you start thinking about what are all the ways the atonement is infinite. Infinite in the divineness of the one who performed it. Infinite in worlds without number that it covered. Infinite in the depth of sin that it covered. And we talked about infinite in time. That it not only goes prospectively but retroactively in time. And King Benjamin talked about that, about the atonement. There's though the Savior had already come in the Old Testament times. And of course, we talk about repentance in the Old Testament as though it already took place. And uh, so they, uh, that word infinite gave me a new grasp, a new kind of vision. It was like a curtain pulled away and you can see, oh yeah, I can see now another 20 miles down the road that I'd never seen before when I, when I had that glimpse. How can our understanding of the atonement further uh, add to our experience of the Easter celebration. As we were preparing for today, I, I thought, I think I know what, you know, I think I know what the atonement, I repent, I've received comfort, I've studied this a lot, but I also felt like I was coming to it new and fresh and needed to spend a lot more <laughs> time with it. This is the important part of rituals and having Easter every year is its own ritual is that every year there's an invitation for us to spend more time just pondering and feeling uh, closer to our Savior. The Easter helps us focus on the atonement. And once we focus on it, it helps us realize that uh, the great benefits that the atonement brings in our life. And I had often wondered, you know, I know the atonement can resurrect us. I know the atonement can cleanse us of our sins. I know the atonement can comfort us in our afflictions. But I didn't really understand how can the atonement perfect us? How does it perfect us? And I think the scriptures give us a couple of ways. One way is through the ordinances of the church. In fact, that's what the Doctrine and Covenants teaches. Therefore, in the ordinances thereof, the power of godliness is manifest. And we sometimes think of the ordinances as a checklist. But in truth, every one of the ordinances unleashes a power of godliness in our life that helps us become like him. And those ordinances only have power because of the atonement of Jesus Christ. And I kind of had, it's amazing how just simple illustrations in life can teach these principles. I was in our law office and our office manager innocently but incorrectly deposits two of my successive checks, payroll checks, into my secretary's account. Oh, dear. <laughs> and it was a very short time before I received a very embarrassing phone call from the bank that my checks were NSF, meaning non-sufficient funds. Mm -hmm. And as good as my intentions were, there was just no funds in my account to pay for the goods and services. Well, the thought occurred my, in like manner, if there were no atonement of Jesus Christ, every ordinance in this church could have written across it NSF. Mm -hmm because it's the atonement that gives life and breath and substance to every gospel ordinance. If it weren't for the atonement, you'd rise out of the waters of baptism and there would be insufficient funds to cleanse you. If it weren't for the atonement, there would be time for the resurrection, there'd be insufficient spiritual funds to bring you out of the grave. If it weren't for the atonement, you'd kneel at the altar and there'd be insufficient funds to 
to seal you beyond this life. So it's the atonement that really gives life and breath and substance to every gospel ordinance. And that's why the ordinances are rife with symbolism of the atonement, because it's, the, it's what gives it purpose and meaning. Elder Coster, do you have a favorite scripture that helps turn your thoughts uh, to Easter or the atonement? Well, one I love is in uh, Moroni chapter 10. And what he does in verses 32 and 33, he says, I'm now going to tell you what the consummate purpose of the atonement is, the crowning aim of the atonement of Jesus Christ, of which this book is all about. And he goes on and says, Yea, come unto Christ and be perfected in him, and deny yourself of all ungodliness. And if ye shall deny yourself of all ungodliness and love God with all your might, mind, and strength, then is his grace, and I would substitute enabling powers of the atonement, sufficient for you that by his grace, his enabling powers, ye may be perfect in Christ. And if by the grace of God you are perfect in Christ, ye can in no wise deny the power of God. And then it goes on, and then it says in verse 33, that if you do all of this and rely on that atonement, you'll become holy without spot. And so... He reminds us that the atonement not only cleanses us, but the atonement of Jesus Christ can perfect us through the ordinances, I think also through the gifts of the Spirit, and in many other ways as well. Kate, how about you? While I was preparing for this event, I kept thinking about this woman who uh, told her story in a talk at a BYU Women's Conference, and it's available on the Gospel Library app and at the pulpit. Her name's Irina Kratzer, and she grew up and became an adult and married and had a child living in Russia. At the end of her talk, she gives her advice on what it has meant to her to live in a way that the atonement is a vibrant part of her life. And I wondered whether I could just read that, read that paragraph. I have learned that almost every miracle I have experienced since my baptism has come as a result of prayer and effort. God requires effort and faith on our part. And I think of um, President Nelson saying, the Lord loves effort. Mm -hmm. uh, second, I have learned that the faith and testimony we gain require constant nourishment. Daily scripture study helps us to do that. Without effort on our part, our testimonies will fade and the feelings of joy will fade also. If we don't go forward, we will go back. The third lesson I learned was that to receive daily miracles, and I love that she thinks of daily miracles, we need to ask for them and then recognize them when they come. We recognize them not only to thank God, but to bring to our own awareness the ways in which God has blessed us. This process builds further faith. I just think she, she hits everything that can help us really make the atonement a vibrant part of our lives, and especially effort. And I think the atonement is both grace, which suggests no effort, and it's effort. <laughs> and we have to hold both of those things and know that both of those things are somehow um, important. Now, Kate, before we uh, wrap this up, I, you've dedicated so much of your life to studying religion and studying the scriptures. And uh, kind of like what I asked Elder Callister about, you know, writing his book, The Infinite Atonement, what was the, the spark that got you to really want to dive into studying the scriptures and religion? I just had a real love for the stories and a real desire uh, to understand better how we understand God as a 
broad people, as human people, and what we can learn about God through the scriptures. I think that all of us, even those of us who, who are not sure what we believe, or those of us who believe in a secular vision, we can't, we can't escape right and wrong and all of the stories in the Old Testament and the way they shape our cultures and the people around us. For me, other people and my relationship with other people is really the way I practice religion. And for me to be able to understand other people, I wanted to be able to understand better their understanding of the scripture as well as the one that I had been taught. And the more I learned about the way other people approach scripture, the more that enriched my own understanding and approach to scripture. Thank you for sharing that. So how has your understanding of the atonement changed your everyday life? I think that it's... uh may be more appreciative for the Savior. And I think, uh, I don't think the Savior needs our appreciation, but I think he appreciates our appreciation. And it's changed my prayers. I try to take time to just reflect on the Savior and thank him and our Father in heaven for what they did. And I think as we take more time to appreciate the Savior, it uh, enhances our relationship with him our love for him, and our desire to be like him. Thank you both so much for, for being here. Um, I think I speak for more than just myself when I say this has been a very spiritually uplifting experience as we've talked about these two very important topics of Easter and our redemption from exile, and I can find peace and joy through this Savior's atonement. And thank you all for joining us on this special Easter week as we've discussed the atonement and how it can impact our lives We invite and encourage you to follow any promptings that you may have received while you've watched this episode and while you have studied about the life of the Savior this week. Please join us next time for another episode of Come Follow Up. Come Follow Up is a production of BYU Broadcasting.